Welcome to North Bay Christ the King. You're listening to our weekly service message podcast. Join us every Sunday morning at 9.30 and 11 o'clock at our campus location in Birch Bay, Washington. Thank you for tuning in. And our hope with this is that not just what you believe when I believe, but what do we believe together? But even that is, what do we believe what God says we to believe? <laughs> and that's through his word. In the first week, we, we talked about the, the importance of, of the final authority of our lives is the word of God. It's the Bible. Scripture is our final authority. And then last week, Tyler touched on, and you can only touch on it because it's such a huge topic, is, is the Trinity. Uh, I gave that one to him like, buddy, go for it. That's a big one right there. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, you got to cover it all and in 25, 27 minutes. That's kind of tough. But it does set the tone for us in the next several weeks. We're going to be looking at a little bit, breaking down a little bit more specific. And so today we're going to look at the deity of Christ. And our goal with that is, is as much as it's hard to cover all that, it's going to, it's going to come down to a couple questions. And, and the, the first question we're going to look at in the moment here is, is, you know, is Jesus really God? How do we know that? And then secondly, we're going to look at is the question is, does he have to be fully God to be our savior? I mean, can he just be a really good guy that came and, 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 and was a prophet and healed people even and, and died on the cross for our sins? Does he have to actually be God himself to complete that work? So we're going to tackle those two big questions this morning. But the first question, is Jesus really God? This is what we believe at, at Christ the King. And so we've been doing this series of our beliefs at CTK. And this is what we say about Jesus, that Jesus is both truly God and truly man, having been conceived by the Holy Spirit, born on, born of the Virgin Mary. He died on the cross once for all as a sacrifice for sin, according to the scriptures. Furthermore, he rose bodily from the dead, ascended into heaven, where at the right hand of the Father, he is now our high priest and advocate. Whew, that's a lot to cover right there. But that is what we hold to and what we believe about the work of Jesus and really who he is. Now, as power-packed as that statement is, it's really human words. And that's why we go to the Bible. And this is what the Bible says to be very clear. Some of these scriptures are going to be a refreshment for many of you, some might be for the first time where you're going, yeah, where, where does it really say that Jesus is God? Where does it really say that? Well, here's a few sampling scriptures to give you today. Some of those are on the screen. Some of them aren't as I read them. The one is this, Colossians says, he is the image of the invisible God. Also says, for in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. The Son. He is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being. And then Paul writes this to, in, to Titus. He says, we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, that's one of my favorites. Being like, where does in the Bible it say that Jesus God? It says, well, it's right there. It just says, our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. You can't get any clearer than that, right? Now, here's the thing. You, you read scripture, you hear that, you hear that. Do you believe that? 
Do you believe that Jesus is indeed God himself? Now you can believe in a mental standpoint, but do you really believe in your heart? Do you really, do you really, is it really part of who you are? See, I think for some of us, if we're really honest, we have doubt at times. Like, how could that really happen? And really, is Jesus really God? And I've had those moments, and I think we should give ourselves grace when we have moments of doubt, because even Jesus' closest disciples doubted who he was. Here, over three years, you know, he spent time with them, and he goes to the cross, and he dies, and he rises from the dead, and people saw him alive, but some still didn't believe that he truly was, was God himself. And, and, and one of those is, is a guy named Thomas. Thomas, you know, everybody got to see him, and he, he must have left the room, and then Jesus was, and he came back, went to the bathroom. Where'd, where'd he go? What happened to him? And he was here. Oh, come on. Really? Jesus is back. Thomas, you got to know he's here. And in the middle of the doubt, the Bible says that Jesus appeared to Thomas. And this, I love this, how Jesus gets really practical and really pointed. To, he says this. He says, put your finger here. See my hands, reach out your hand and put it in my side. Stop doubting and believe. And then Thomas says that, he said to him, my Lord and my God. I love that. As he, he didn't, he wasn't cussing here. He wasn't like, oh, more like, oh, I can't believe. He was going, my Lord, my God. it was an act, act of worship, words of worship to him. And Jesus doesn't come and rebuke him. Actually, he affirms him with this. He says, Jesus told him, he says, because you've seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen, and yet had belief. Jesus didn't correct him. Oh, you can't call me God. No, no. He says, he said these words to him that you believe, but guess what? Bless are those who will believe and not seen me. Now, who are the those? Who are the those? Us those. We're, we're the those. We're the people that now you think, wouldn't it have been better for us to really truly see Jesus alive and in person? Jesus says, no, no. It's better that you're blessed this way because it comes down to belief and trust, really trust in me. And I think we need to realize that, you know, we could talk about and you can, you can think about and you can come in agreement maybe that, that Jesus is God, but do you truly believe it? I really think there's a revelation in our heart that can take place. When Christy and I were youth pastors, and boy, 20 years ago, we were in a church in Bellevue and, and we had a really pretty good outreach to unchurched kids. There's just a lot of kids that are coming that didn't have any background in faith or anything. And this one girl comes up, up to us and her name's Sarah. And she goes, hi, I'm Sarah. I'm an atheist. And I said, well, hi, Sarah, the atheist. Good to have you. You can join us here. And so, uh, and she just kind of went along with the group for several, probably several weeks. And there was this moment that she was in a small group and I heard her say in the small group she was part of, she goes, so Jesus is God? And it was this moment for Sarah. She wasn't even necessarily questioning it. She was experiencing it. She was realizing for the first time in her life who Jesus really was. And it reminded me that the, the moment when Peter was with Jesus and the other disciples, and Jesus asked the question, who do people say that I am? And people say, well, some say you're prophet, some say you're Elijah. But, and and then, then Jesus says, no, who do you say that I am? And, and Peter's like, well, Jesus, you're, you're the the son of the living God. You're the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus says to him these words, he says, hey, it's not flesh and blood that has told you, but it's my father in heaven that's revealed that to you. See, we could, I could tell you about Jesus all day if you want to hear it, but I can't convince you in your heart 
Only the Holy Spirit can reveal that he is the Christ, the son of the living God. But I hope these scriptures help you. I hope they point to you as a fact that who Jesus really is. But gets to the second question is why? Why does it, why is it so important that Jesus has to be God to be our savior? Why does Jesus have to be God to be your complete savior? Now, this is a really important question. I want to do this though. I want you to think about in the, just picturing in the eyes of heroes today. And I think it's kind of amazing how well, all through human history, we look for heroes, but some of us grew up reading comic books of heroes and comic books. Some of us watched Saturday morning cartoons and our, our heroes, our super friends that we watch. Now even like superheroes are more popular than ever. Like all the Marvel movies. I went the other day and there was a, an Ant-Man and a Wasp and they, it was a great movie. It was very entertaining. We're, we get caught up in superheroes. It's kind of part of our culture. But you know, and I know that true heroes, are, they don't wear capes and spandex, right? You don't walk down the street that way. That's kind of weird and creepy. There's some people that do that. And then we go like, Phew, okay, how much they've been drinking or what are they doing? And we look at them uh, uh, differently. But true heroes, true heroes are found in the actions in the, of a courageous heart. In some cases, making the ultimate sacrifice. We know about heroes and what they've done and what they've accomplished out of incredible sacrifice and, and, and literally times of giving their life for saving people. You think about the, and we're all relieved that the, the, the children, are, the, the soccer team out of Thailand, they're, they're rescued out of that cave. Well, what happened? One Thai Navy SEAL died for the cause, the heroic acts of these people. Now, I don't know if they were, you know, interviewed or anything like that of some of them. I didn't get to listen to that, but, but heroes are doing the right thing and not expecting to get much credit for it. They're doing what they needed to do. But I always think it's funny when they do interview heroes here, it's kind of almost dumb questions. Reporters, they'll say, you know, after someone does something incredibly heroic and saves all these people, do you consider yourself a hero? And they're like, what do you, what do you say? If they, they, I, yeah, of course. Duh, look at what I accomplished. What do they say? What do real heroes say? Oh, no, no, you know, I, no, don't call me a hero. And then now it was like, no, you're a hero. You're a hero for saying that, right? And, it, it, and I love that approach that true heroes are not trying to get the credit. Jesus models to us being a hero. He models to truly what a, what a hero is about. And I love Jesus' style. He didn't roll into town and say, look at me. No. When you're born in a stable and you're raised in, 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 in a dirt water village of Nazareth, even they say, what could, good could come from Nazareth? You mean it's like, it's like that's, that's, that, that place no one's really heard of. Are you serious? But Jesus here, all his quiet years, 30 years, 30 years, no one knew who he was. And then only the three years of his life left that he had a public ministry about it. Jesus didn't proclaim to be a superhero. You know, here I come to save the day. Do you remember that, Mighty Mouse? He didn't do that. Some of you over 40 know that. You're like, oh, he didn't do that. That wasn't his style. That was so opposite. And I don't think we have it on the, on the screen today, but I want you to listen to the Apostle Paul and the words that he writes about Jesus. So just the attitude that Christ had as he came to this earth. It says this, who... Talk about Jesus being the very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. 
Now think about this. Jesus was perfect. Now in our imperfect thinking, when you're God, right, you could do whatever the heck you want, right? You could do whatever you want. And yet Jesus in his perfection knew that was best was to be the unlikely hero. He goes on and he says this, rather, so being the major God did not, you know, consider equality with God, something to grasp. Uh, another translation says something to take advantage of it for himself. Instead, it says, rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance of a, as a man, he humbled himself to becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. See, if, if you know you're really God, you really don't have to prove it. You just are. See, Jesus came to serve. Jesus came as a servant. The very, you think about a king that got off his throne and went and served the people. He said, I didn't come to be served, but to serve and give my life as a ransom. Came not to get a crown, but to go to the cross for us. Not to have a physical kingdom. One day, Jesus will establish a physical kingdom. A new heaven and a new earth will happen. But guess what? Not until, not the first time, Jesus came as his suffering servant. And his kingdom, he says, is not of this world. Much, much bigger. Jesus knew he was fully God. And what he modeled to us, being fully God, he took the attitude of meekness. And meekness is a unique word. We don't use that a lot, but it so describes Jesus. Now, meekness doesn't mean weakness. Meekness means power under restraint. How many know if you're God and you got all the power and someone doesn't like you and someone's against you, wouldn't you want to use your God powers? I mean, thank goodness, God, Jesus and who he was. I mean, we'd be nuked at some point, right? At the snap of his fingers. But that is not why he came. He came not to, to condemn the world, but to save the world. And he did that through simply serving. And it's interesting as you look at the Gospels and how Jesus displayed his Godness, is he did it out of a heart to serve humanity and bring healing to humanity. That's, that's where the power came in. He didn't do it on for himself. It was always, always in the context of serving. And there's so many examples of this. But one of my favorite examples is, is where Jesus is teaching in a house and it's full of people and no one can get it and more people can get in. And there's a guy who is a paralytic and he has some friends that really want him to get to Jesus so Jesus could heal him. And so they can't get in the house. And so they cut a hole in the roof of the house and lower them down. And they drop them right in front of Jesus. And I love the response. When, and it says when Jesus saw their faith. And I love that. What it was, there was a lot of work in it. Like, we got to get them to Jesus, no matter what. He said, they said, friend, you're, he says to him, your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law began thinking themselves, who is is in this fellow who speaks of blasphemy. How can, how can forgive, for, how can he, who can forgive sins but God alone? Only God can do that. How, how are the audacity that he would do that? Well, Jesus says, and they knew they were thinking and asked, why are you thinking these things in your hearts? What is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven or to say, get up and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he says to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and walk home. Jesus displays his power. He, he shows his authority. He shows who he is and reveals who he is all in the context of serving. But very, very clearly, 
he's declaring in those, in those actions that he's God. And he's got it under control. He knew who he was and what the Father had empowered him to do to live out. Jesus knew his power and his authority, and it was to heal others. Jesus, so secure in who he was, so secure in who he was, his simple work was to serve and, all, and to pay the ultimate sacrifice because that's what true heroes do, a call to sacrifice. And I think it's so ironic that Jesus, when he was here, did not make it about himself, and now we make it all about Jesus. Here Jesus came and didn't make it about who, him, who he was, and it was all about him. And our call to worship is this, is that many times, as much as you say it's all about Jesus, but much of our life we spend a lot of time making it all about ourselves. And we have to flip that. And the way to flip that is this, that Jesus modeled the pathway to, the, to his greater work and for his kingdom. And it's through serving. I got a couple big statements I'm going to say, and we'll, we'll end here today. But the one is this, when we are confident in our identity and our destiny or destination, we will have little concern of getting any credit. Let me say it again. When we are confident in our identity, who we are, in our destination, where we're going, we will have little concern for getting any credit. Does that make sense? You know who you are in Christ. In fact, we sang that, you know. You who I say I am, we sing that, and then we sing that, that, that Jesus, you're going and preparing a place for me. We, we declare that in worship this morning, and we, we believe, and we get, you know, worked up, and we're excited about that, but it's living out during the week is kind of tough, isn't it? I don't know about you, but I struggle with that a little bit. At times, I kind of forget who I am and forget where I'm going in life, I, I, my identity, my purpose sometimes. And, and, and with that, I think a lot of us are challenged with this, and more than others, but I think a lot of us can relate, is that we, we live out more of not just our true identity, we live out more of an in, a place of insecurity. And insecurity really eats at us in sup, such a way that we live everything out of that. And it's obvious in our actions and our, and our time and our energy, and so we don't feel very superheroish at all. And quite, quite the opposite. Or we put on a front that we are a superhero and really not. And I think there's two extremes that happen in life. And, and we do this in many levels. And one extreme is, like, is, is where we look down upon ourselves. And, and our response to life is this. It's reclusiveness. And some of it might be our introvertiveness or, you know, that you might be introvert, extrovert. But it's beyond that. For some of us, we hide in who we are. That keeps us within ourselves. We mind our own business. We never take risks. Deep down, we're desperately wanting something different for our life, but we actually feel trapped. What then does, it leads to depression. Depression is kind of this inward anger we have. Most of the time, depression is we're angry about ourselves. And we wish we could change and we can't. We get caught and trapped and it's dangerous for us. And it becomes, if we lash out, it's dangerous for others. And so uh, we take depression seriously and we should. It could be a clinical issue, but also it's very much an emotional issue. And I think it can be very much a spiritual issue for us that leads that way. So our response and our insecurity is reclusiveness. Now the opposite of that is really bragging. <laughs> and, and that's where pride, pride comes in. And, and, and you've been around people, and I've been around people, and maybe we've been guilty at times of doing this in our insecurity that we need to share with everybody our accomplishments, okay? Don't point to anybody out, but you know people, I know people, like, they need to let you know how great they are about what, what they've been doing. So you ask them how they're doing, and then, then they tell you what they're doing. Like, I didn't ask you what you're doing. And, and, and I, I find this, and I kind of call it the Starbucks response question, and I find it if the people that I'm 
you know, with, I, you know, either it's uh, other business people, you know, doing, doing connections that way, or it's, it's with other pastor friends that I'm, associates I'm working with, and I, I'll ask them the question, how's it going? You know, at a Starbucks or Woods, how's it going? And they'll say things like this, they say, oh, we're killing it. Our team's killing it. We're blowing it up. You know, it's, it's all, it, and they start bragging a little bit. I'm thinking to myself, wow, like, uh, I don't want to, like, I'm, I don't want to judge. I'm thinking, okay, you're, you just, you're, like, I know your marriage is falling apart. You know, I know your kid's on drugs. I know there's all this, like, blowing up is a good word over here. And, and the Bible says you can, you know, win the whole world and lose your own soul. And I'm just sitting there going, wow, you know. And I think for my own life as well, I find when I don't want to be honest is because it comes from a place of insecurity. And that's not my identity. It's not my identity. It's not, that's not where I'm supposed to live. I'm, I'm supposed to live in, in this, this confidence that God has for me. And I think the opposite also can happen, you know, in these extremes. It happens. You know, it's kind of the, the one-up you conversations. Have you been with people? Or maybe you've done this before where you kind of go, and it can be great. Like, well, man, you know, we, had, we just had an you know, incredible month of sales. It was so amazing. What'd you do? Oh, nothing compared to what we did in our company, right? Or it can be the opposite. Like uh, you go, oh, man, I had a really, really rough week. Oh, it was so bad. And they say, well, it's nothing, nothing compared to the week I had, right? You're like, one up you, right? You can't compete with them, right? And it comes from this place of, of insecurity in our life. And what we at times, and we've done this, we all are trying to prove ourselves, our value, because we live in a world that being busy shows that you're being productive. How many can be really busy and not be very productive? We struggle with the sense of being because we are insecure in our identity. And it's wrapped up in pride. And I always say that pride is really the outer shell of our insecurity. We protect ourselves with pride and our ego to protect our insecurity. And it happens, it stems from all of us just desperately, desperately wanting to belong, don't we? It, 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 you remember at the lunch table and trying to see who you're going to sit with friends and, and then you, you know, get a new job or you mean me before you, you move in the college dorms and you're like, I need to meet new people and new job and new neighborhood. And, and some of you now are in phases of life where you're, you're moving to a, a retirement community. You're going to the retirement center. You're going, I'm going to play cards. Who am I going to play cards with now? Like you go through these, it doesn't matter your age or stage of life. We all struggle at times knowing who we are. But I want to challenge us with this, and more of a reminder for us, it's not only just who we are, but whose we are. Whose are we? Well, if you're a follower of Christ, if you surrender your life to Jesus, you're God's. No matter what you've done and, and, and what not done, who you've been with, who not been with, you belong to God. You're, you're, God is your father. You're in the family. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. That's our identity. And what's our destination and what's heaven? right? As a child of God, that's who we are. We sang that this morning. That when, I hope today that before you leave your day that you know who you are and you know where you're going. My dad passed away about six months before I heard this scripture at a summer camp because they asked this question, do you know who you are and do you know where you're going? Do you know for sure that if you die today, you're going to heaven? That was that question at the summer camp. And they said to, they said to us, if you want to know you stay in your seat and everybody leaves. Well, it was free time and I got to go play basketball with my cousins. And so I had a decision. My cousins, come on, come on, let's go. We got three on three playing, come on. I, and I don't know what it does. The Holy Spirit just had my butt glued to that seat and I couldn't move. And this 
counselor came over and says, how can I pray, pray with you? Oh, well, the guy mentioned about, I don't know for, I don't know for sure I'm going to heaven. He, he gave me this scripture that I've known now for the rest of my life is this. It says, all who receive and all believe in his name, he gave the right to become a child of God. And it was that moment in that little lakeside Bible camp in Woodby Island that I gave my life to Jesus. Now, many years later, I was really discipled and grown my faith. But that was a moment for me that I knew who I was and my, I knew where I was going. All of us need that in our life. If you don't know that, we want to help you with that. But we live in this battle. We live in this battle for that identity of who we really are. And we struggle. We struggle. And so... With that, in the, in the selfish world and the struggle that we have, we fight to know our identity. We fight where we're going. But, but it leads to this question is this. We can't, we, 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 uh, we need to know who Jesus is by understanding that he is God. But why? Why is he has to be God to be our Savior? And I think the an- simple answer for us this, this morning is this, is that we can't be our own heroes, is we can't be our own heroes. As much as we prop ourselves up and try and do, we cannot be our own, our own heroes. We cannot be who we are and where we're going alone. And, and I think a good picture of this is that is you, if you're going out and, you're, and this is basic boat safety, if someone falls in the water and is drowning, the last thing you should do is jump in and save them. And that's really hard when someone you love, that you're going to try to rescue them. But the problem is, and they're flailing around, and you jump in to pull them out, guess what? You're, they're going to pull you down in the process. And I think what you need to keep on, we're, we cannot be our own heroes of our, our world here. Jesus had to be the hero. God himself had to come in the form of flesh to blood just to save us. He had to be. And so if you're going to save someone, you got to throw the lifeline. You got to throw a buoy. You got to throw something to pull them in. And Jesus was that savior to do that. But it had to be someone outside of our drowning world that we live in. And that's why it's so key when we look at scripture and we, the declaration, the Bible says in Matthew 1, 23, that the version will give will be with child and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now we read that and we're like, man, it's not Christmas. Why are we reading this in July? Well, it's a reminder that God is with us throughout the entire year, and that God is with us, that incarnation, is, is stating the fact that Jesus is God himself came, and he had to be perfect body, soul, and spirit his whole life, and perfect in his blood. The Bible says that the life of every creature is from the, from the, from the blood. Life is in the blood, right? Now, I, I learned this in ninth grade uh, health or whatever, and some of this stuff kind of grossed me out. I remember learning some of it, and, you know, and you're like, wow, I did not know that, you know, the details that go into reproduction. But I do remember this part was, is that, that the, to indicate the, the father, or I'm sorry, that the father is when it indicates for the, the life to have um, blood. So that fertilized egg had to be by the father. So the indicating of blood happened by the father. Now, I mean, not, not talking the blood type, but the blood. Now, how does that tie in with this? Well, Jesus, the, the, Jesus became flesh, but his blood was divine. He came, was birth, came from a woman, but the father in heaven was, was, was his father. That's just so important because Jesus' blood had to be pure. Pure blood is needed for a pure sacrifice. First Peter tells us this, for you know it was not with perishable things such as silver and gold you were redeemed, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish 
or defect. Okay? So very, very clear. Virgin birth, perfect lamb of God, the sacrifice for our sins because we can't be our own heroes. We can't save ourselves. You can't be my savior. I can't be your savior. We need something outside of us, someone outside of us to rescue us. The unique son of God, not just God's son, but God the son was born, died, rose again for us. Jesus said his very self, and he was perfect. The Bible says he committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. The perfect sacrifice to secure who we are and where we are going. Now, one and done, that's great. That's awesome. The ultimate hero. Well, what's left is this. Jesus left. <laughs> Jesus left. The hero, what, what do they say? Rode off in the sunset. And before Jesus did, he empowered us to go and do the same. Jesus is the one who came, died, rose again, but left. He left us. See, why did he leave us? Don't you think it would have been, if you were Jesus, you would think it'd be better for him to stay. Why did he leave? Because he didn't want to make it about him. His mission was all about him, but he didn't want to make it about him. Think about this. If Jesus physically stayed on the earth, everybody would, would come to one place and one location. Jesus knew this, that in the Great Commission, he sent them out to go and make disciples. He needed to send them out. And you're thinking, well, what are we going to take with us? And he says, you're going to take my very self with you. You are going to embody who I am. I am with you, but I need to go because I'm sending the one to be in you. And then in these words are kind of amazing. Where he says this in John 14 to these these, these followers that are going to leave. And he goes, we don't go, don't go, go, no, no, I got to go. He says this, very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I've been doing and they will even do greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. And you're just going, Jesus, really? Greater things? I mean, you're God yourself. I mean, all the miracles and, that's, and how could that really be? You no, know, Jesus is telling us, hey, there's going to be many of you and guess what? I'm going to be in you even better. And that's the great commission that we're called to do. And so, hey, don't brag about this, but you can check under your, your suit a little bit. It doesn't say an S. It says HS. It's the Holy Spirit in us, the hero in us that God's calling us to be. But Jesus modeled something so powerful. He didn't make it about himself. That's what real heroes do. They don't make it about themselves. And so here, this is this one big statement. Another big statement again is this. Out of knowing who we are and where we're going, now our responses help others find their identity and destination. Think about this. If you know who you truly are, and if you know where you are going, what do you have to prove? Nothing. Well, I got to do this, and I've got to make sure, you know, we got to, you know, we're blowing it up, and we're... Stop. No. What's our call? It is a call to serve down at the waterfront. You know, our name's mentioned and I think the sponsor of Christ the King. Like, uh, we don't want it to be about a brand. We want to be about serving. But within us, though, our egos fight that. Don't our insecurity fights it so much. And so, but if we could live out as our model of our hero did, the model of 
Jesus knew who he was and where he was going. He says, in me, you know who you are. You are one of mine and you know where you're going is heaven. Guess what? Now it's time to help other people find their identity and their destination. I want to challenge us with something maybe really practical we could do this week. And I, and it's, I, you could call it this. You call it, I see in you conversations. I see in you conversations. And I see in you is this, and this is where, let's flip the script a little bit. If you're with somebody at a coffee shop or working and they start bragging or whatever, you could, you could flip it, and not to make a point or anything like that, but guess what? That person is probably insecure in what they're doing. They have some, they're insecure in their struggle. And you can affirm them and say, I see in you potential. I see in you, think, you know, uh, 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 and compliment them, affirm them. And I tell you, there's a few people in life that do that a lot, uh, this around me in my world. And then some of them are even just outside our, our setting here. And one of those guys is a guy named John Munchley. He's a pastor and the mayor of Ferndale. Okay. I tell him I can be the pastor and be a pastor and the mayor, but John doesn't make it about him. John is one of these guys that I'm working or whatever, and I see, he comes by, he goes, hey, Dan, can I sit with you? And he'll start talking with me, and, and he goes, and first thing out of his mouth many times is this, hey, Dan, thank you for what you're, what you're doing out there and out at Birch Bay. I'm hearing good things about the church and what you're doing, and right away, he's thanking me and complimenting. Like, John, like, dude, you're like a pastor and the mayor, like, you know, like, you know, but he doesn't make it about him. And I love that about him. He's, he's, just, he's just one of those guys, and there's many examples. Of that. Another example is a guy named Dan DeMint. I've known Dan for about 10 years. He's an elder at the church at Blaine Christian Fellowship. He's also the director of community assistance program. Dan does not make the mission about him. Dan is one of these guys that serves and loves Jesus. And he comes along and he's been there and he sat in some moments with me that I just needed, I, it was almost my Obi-Wan Kenobi. I just needed him, and all he did was sit and listen and pray with me. Never made it about himself. I'm like, oh, Lord, I want to not just age well, I want to sage well. I want to be wise like that, Lord, not about, and so it's not about me. I tell you, true heroes are not looking to get the kickbacks. True heroes are not looking for the kudos and the credit. And as we go to prayer for this, as we battle this ourselves and insecurity and our identity and destiny, I want us to know that we're all in, a, in different places in our life. And it's all of us a struggle, but there's a degree that I believe that God can change our hearts so that we truly, truly can live this out and live this life of freedom as a true servant of Christ, that we're not looking for anything back. And as our team comes, I want you to picture with me a, just a, a, a scenario. And the scenario is like this. There's someone that you have poured into and invested in. Maybe you taught them in kids' church. You were their co 